Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. This week is week four. We're doing a series, Consciousness. So the first part of the series, we were talking about God and his, 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 his state of consciousness, how he made man in his image, the exclusivity to how man reflects that same consciousness that, that God has. Um, we talked about some other stuff in the second week, but it's not relevant for this week. And then last week, if you were here, Andre absolutely tore it up. It was so, so good. I was listening online because I was doing City Light last week, which was a load of fun. And I was listening to what he was saying. And one of, a few of the things that he said really, really had an impact on me and actually we're going to kind of flow on from there so he was talking about solipsism so solipsism is this is this idea that actually all you know and can prove is your own consciousness so you know you're conscious but you don't know that i'm conscious so the idea is that you're the only one who really exists and everything else around you is a fragment of your own imagination your own idea and your own experience so nothing else is necessarily real And the reason that's kind of a thing is because scientifically speaking, you can't actually prove human consciousness. Can't prove it, you can't measure it. It's it's an internal thing. It's not factual, which is insane because the one thing that every human being fundamentally believes is that they are a conscious being. It's a crazy, crazy thing. So today what we move from is this isolated idea in solipsism and we transition across to this idea that comes about in the New Testament which is called church, it's called ecclesia, which is like this collective consciousness. So today we're gonna be talking about a collective consciousness and we're gonna talk about why that's God's plan and why that's so unbelievably important. So ecclesia is the Greek word for church and it isn't a word that's exclusive for Christians. They were using this word all the time in Jesus' day about small collective gatherings of Jewish believers that would get together. It wasn't a Christian thing, they'd have this ecclesia It was a normal thing, and it meant a people called out for a purpose. So the whole idea for us at City Hill and why we do City Hill is exactly that. The purpose we're called out for is lighting up our world so that people far from God could find life in Christ. And the values that we share as a collective are shine, invite, give. Shining, which is about just being kind of outward, um, not living an inward life, but one that reflects, want to lead the way, light the way that people can reveal what's there for people. Um, Every day is Sunday, being well-rested, refreshed. Invite to City Hill, to the party that's like eternal life and into your own life. We want to be people that invite and share life with people. And then give. We want to be people that are giving because that's what it means to really be alive. It's not about what you can take but what you can give. And also about giving our time and our talents because that's a unique thing that we can bring to God. So the way that this plays out is as this collective consciousness that we've been called out together for a purpose. And last Sunday's preaching when we talked about solipsism, is actually kind of today's preaching. I don't mean today's preaching as in right now, but as in if we were to look across like internationally what gets said in churches, the books that sell, the messages in conference that people kind of dig and go with, then we would kind of sum it up like this. It would be how to help you live the Christian life. And the you is singular. So it's like how you can live the Christian life. But actually the big problem with that is when we look at the English language, is when we read the word you, it can mean plural and it can mean singular. So sometimes when you're reading a text in the Bible, you can have this understanding and this idea that actually this is about me. It's you, singular, like the National Lottery finger, just bang, right at you. Whereas actually, sometimes when the New Testament's talking, the writers weren't thinking singular, they were thinking plural. So even to the extent where there are books in the Bible that are named to people, like Timothy and Philemon, 
And these epistles that are, are written to them, even those epistles are not about singular beings. It's about plural. It's about the ecclesia. It's about something bigger, about something larger. And so the New Testament, when they talk about Christianity, it's not about you. It's not about you. It never has been. It never will be. Sorry. We have been shortchanged. We're exchanging church for the Christian life. So when people talk about Christianity now, they talk about their own individual life and this disconnect from a larger, wider kind of thing to the individual. And actually, we leave ourselves really shortchanged. And in today's world, I think this is so unbelievably important because in the Western world, in the UK specifically, and also in the States, people feel more isolated and more alone than ever before. Young people feel more disconnected than ever before. Young people feel more under more pressure, more alone, more in the dark than ever before. Suicide rates among young people, among men, among the nation as a whole are on the increase. Depression, mental health, all these things, huge. These things happen, like one of the things that I, the scripture talks about, it talks about the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. And I think the best way and the easiest way to do that is in isolation. It's so easy and, it, and it, that's across the board, that's every strategy. If you can isolate someone, you can get them. And it's how it is with, with a lot of the, the guys that get stabbed, a lot of people that get, that get killed in London by gangs and stuff, isolated. No one really goes up to, oh look, there's an even matchup of lads that look about the same size as us. They're probably carrying as many knives as we are. Let's go have an equal fight. It doesn't really happen. People talk about it in that way, like, oh look, no, unless there was more, duh, 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 I wouldn't just go and like, get a load of guys and all that. They all say that, but it's not really true. And it's the same with Satan. I believe he wants us in isolation. He wants to kind of like pick us off. And so if we look at it, the Christian life as the individual has kind of started to replace the, the wider idea of church. So Joel Osteen, love him, nothing against him, the Colgate man, love that smile, wish I had it, I don't, well Joel. But he wrote a book which is one of his international bestsellers, which is Your Best Life Now, singular. But the New Testament writers wrote Your Best Life Now, plural. So their idea was that your best life isn't in isolation. Your best life isn't you-centric. The best life you can live is collective-centric. It's as a, as a group on, a, on an equal teal. So because we read it in the English language, so often there are verses in the Bible that we take in a particular way that have an individual consciousness when actually they're talking about a collective consciousness. And so we miss the whole heart of the message. So... In, in the Bible, there are 4,720 times where the you is plural. There are 2,698 in Hebrew and 2,022 in Greek. What I love is I actually found when looking into this, there's a new translation of the Bible you can find online. So there was the you version, which has gone like viral when everyone has it on their Bible installed, on their phones installed and stuff. Well, there's now a Texas version called the y'all, y'all version. So every time there's a, there's a you that's plural, it says y'all. And so I was just, although it also has an English version where it replaced it with you lot. So I thought that was, I thought that was pretty deep. But I'm not gonna lie, man, straight away, I was on the y'all version, I was like, jeez, y'all. But that's just because I love Zach, so, and the guys in Texas, so I was just like, this is the best version of the Bible I've ever read in my life. So there's now this Texas version. And it's actually, it seems like a really silly thing, but it's actually a really, really important thing. The New Testament is plural in its focus, even in the books to individuals. That's just how plural it is. So we're gonna look at like three passages today and we're gonna look at what the, 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 the issue that they face and how that kind of taps in with us. So in 1 Corinthians chapter three, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
I fed y'all with milk, not solid food, for y'all were not ready for it. Even now, y'all are not ready, for y'all are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among y'all, you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and then other says, I follow Apollos, are y'all not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom y'all believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, I laid the foundation and someone else built upon it. So when we look at this passage, we have a few things. We have, we have on the one hand, a dietary picture that's painted. We have milk and we have meat. And he's like, so the idea of, of milk and the idea of meat is like, like with a child, they progress like, Ari will not be on Jody, having Jody's milk, or I'm not gonna say how Eden describes how she eats, um, because yeah, geez. She just goes fully in with the, the anatomy being the key feature. So Ari is not always going to be on milk. At some point, she's going to transition to meat. And Paul's picture with these guys is that you're all about like milk. You're, on like, you're like babies because your attitude is I. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. Whereas actually, the collective consciousness sees the good in the differing types of people, in the different works and different ministries that they have and what they do. And actually one of the immature things we can do is we can narrow ourselves to positioning ourselves to just be like, oh, this guy, yeah, 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 and then close off all the rest. They take a place of transition where they transition from talking in a singular perspective to a place where Paul is able to say, God is the one who builds. God is the one creating the larger picture and we should embrace and we should celebrate all. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, but we're going to start maybe at uh, verse 12. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that, that you are, your, your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of like, a prostitute? No way. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined in the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you, within you, whom you have from God? Are you not your own, or were you bought with a price? So glorify God in your body. The thing about this passage is so often when people talk about this, they always kind of focus and hone in on your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like if you've stuck around church for long enough, you've heard that phrase so many different times. You've heard it in relation to like tattoos. You've heard it in relation to smoking. You've heard it in relation to your diet, to health and fitness, and all these different types of things that people have kind of made this passage about. But what this passage about is one thing, is when it says that, or do you not know that your body, your body, plural, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So the idea in this passage is not that it's about you as the individual taking care of yourself. The idea in this passage is that you're a collective and that you're working it all out together as one, that you don't just own your own responsibility for you because the idea that you or I being the temple of the Holy Spirit in exclusivity is absolutely offensive and abhorrent. The idea that, that God would just like, the idea of this exclusive individually to me or my own in isolation is not what the New Testament writers are about. It's not what God is about. It's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about as a collective. It's about a collective. And it's about we together are the collective consciousness of God's people. And that together we share in and we love one another and we take care of one another. And so when he talks about this, and actually in Revelation chapters 2 to 3, there's all these different churches that Jesus is, is talking to. And some of them he's sending for and some of them he speaks highly of. But ultimately the thing that happens is there are churches that repent. It's not individuals in the churches that repent. The whole churches repent together. They take ownership together of their love for one another and the responsibility of caring for one another and their own spiritual health and their well-being that they do it together as a collective, um, not just about the individual. So then we're going to look at one last passage today, which is Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work out his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud. I did not run in vain or labor in vain for you. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice offering for your face, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So when I look at this passage, one of the things that, that, that hits me about it is We've got a couple of different things going on at the, at the same time. And when we look at the, the last passage in relation to like um, sexuality and that we're the temple of God and that we're not to be immature in a place where it's about us as the individual, but it's more about the collective good, about something bigger than just ourselves. It's very outward thinking. And then the next thing is that actually you are temples of the spirit of God, that God lives in you as a collective. So you need to work this out. And then in Philippians, it's talking about... Um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and people look at that and when they read that they kind of have this idea it's about it's about the individual it's about it's about the one and it's not it's about a collective it's about a collective and what hit me this week was there was a lot of stuff going around online and a lot of like there's always things trending on twitter that happens every day regardless of if it's any good but there was the whole hashtag me too that was going around that you might might have seen so with everything of harvey weinstein or Weinstein or I have no idea who you say his name and I really don't care that I've missed out because um, bit of a douche total douche not even a bit total but because of his story this thing came out and then the overwhelming thing about it was it was strange because on the one hand this hashtag was so amazing because you started to realise the scale as people were all just tweeting out kind of their experiences but then on the same time you realise something that's such an amazingly huge issue is being completely trivialized by a hashtag because this is such a big thing and you're just making it out to be a hashtag like I got cat whistled or cat called like a guy whistled at me me too <laughs> he was like well someone else on there hmm I remember a few years ago I, I could, I'll never forget where I was what shop I was in even the product I was holding in my hand where a woman who'd seen me speak somewhere else came up to me and she'd asked me to pray 
And I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. But I'm kind of like shopping, thinking like, well, this is a bit weird, you know. I just want to kind of like try on some clothes, some jumpers, look at some cool t-shirts. Like, you know, what are you doing? This is a bit weird. And then she tells me that her, her daughter had... I'm going to change my language today because kids are present, but gang abused. That's the way I'm going to say it, but we all know what I mean. And I'm, I just remember just standing there and I can remember the t-shirt. I remember, I can feel it as if it's in my hand now because I remember just freezing and just being like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray. And it's... It's almost like in church sometimes when it comes to these things, we have these predetermined ideas and formulas of Christianity and what we do for pastoral care that we just flow through things and we kind of miss the significance of it. Last week I was speaking at an event like at midnight. I didn't know when they booked me. They said to do this talk and I said, yeah, man, I'll come speak at a youth conference. Then when they told me I was speaking at half 12 in the morning, I was like, loudest, bro, bun that. I want to go to bed. And I was doing that. And I remember after the talk, being out the back and there was this girl and this guy and they started shooting off all these questions they liked the talk and they wanted my idea on everything and it was getting a bit ridiculous and I remember they were like oh what would you do if so and so was in this situation that situation and I was like the problem is you want a predetermined outcome and a predetermined answer to someone's situation they're living that situation that's their life I will never sit down with someone who's going through something with a predetermined course of action where I'm going to drop one line in the bible and be like a mic drop like oh yeah that's it your life's sorted I'm so great theologically there you go thank you very much because that's a person's life that's their whole being And what happens in this passage that we're reading about in Philippians, which actually makes church one of the most beautiful, profound, amazing things possible on this earth, is the fact that it says, work out your salvation as a collective with fear and trembling. So as I grew up in church, if someone was going through some issues, it was kind of like you wanted to be this spiritual kind of person that told them how they should live their life, and you'd feel kind of good about it, that you were in a place that you were able to do something in them. And the way that you talk about it to other people would be in this way that's really actually more about you and not really caring about the person who's going through anything, and it all gets a bit messed up. And that only happens when you don't understand this verse. Because if you understand this verse, that you work out your salvation as a collective with fear and trembling, what that is, is it means you hold people's hands that you love, whether you know their situation or you don't know their situation, you hold them in your hands with fear and awe, knowing that in the same way that God holds you in your own situation, you are to hold them. You are to hold them with absolute awe and with trembling. Here's the thing, is that sometimes people don't come up to you in a shop while you're holding a t-shirt and tell you they need prayer for some unbelievably insane thing. Sometimes they just walk up to you and go, hey, yeah, I saw you at church that time. That was really great. Thank you, man. It was really encouraging. And they walk off and you don't know anything about them. Sometimes you're sitting next to someone who comes here on a Sunday for the first ever time. You don't know anything about them. You don't know who they are and you don't need them to tell you, but you need to hold them with fear and with trembling, with awe and respect and the wonder of who God is and who the person is in front of you. And so often as a church, while we have this gospel that's being preached at the moment, this message that's being preached, which sounds like it's such a minor thing, but the more we keep speaking singular instead of plural, we cease to hold the sacred nature of individuals that are placed right in front of us because we don't understand the collective nature of what church is. You know what the great thing about City Hill is? You can come here and be a part of this church and the cool thing is you can come back and be like, you know what, that guy who's speaking on Sunday is an absolute douche and he is so unbelievably annoying. But we're a family. That's incredible. You don't get that anywhere else. Anywhere else in the world where someone is really annoying and irritating, you don't put up with them, you avoid them. But in church, 
what sounds like a really annoying and crazy thing is that we're so different, we come from different backgrounds, different places, and we're brought together like family when we're so unbelievably different. And that is the nature of what Ecclesia is, and that is what this collective consciousness is. And so today, I want to encourage us on just three things. I want to encourage us to get a better diet, to move from milk, where Christianity is about me, and transition to where it's about meat, which Paul says, you know what, it's not about I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, it's we're in this together, and let's do this. And then we want to transition to a place where it's not like, oh, that's their issue. No, it's my issue. Not because I'm going to step into their life and try and figure it all out and tell them how they should be and what they should do, but actually because I appreciate that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if they're going through a mess, you know what? I'm not going to be here to like take over their life and tell them how they should live it, but I'm going to love them the whole way through it and I'm going to care for them and do what little thing or whatever thing I can do because there's a sacred nature in this. And then ultimately speaking, ultimately speaking, we're to do all things without grumbling, without disputing. And the reason for that is that we are to work out our salvation as a collective with fear and trembling. And I want City Hill, more than anything in this world, to be a place where we do exactly that, where we hold people's lives in our hands with fear and trembling, knowing how awesome, how amazing it is that this person matters. One of the cool things at the moment, so we used to have worship here on a Sunday. At the moment, we don't have worship on a Sunday. We probably will once a month. Uh, we've got some people come from another church support in that area. But I don't see that as a, a, as a weak thing. I see that as a strength. I honestly see that as a strength. And so for me, one of the things I want to articulate in this talk now, but everyone here today was brilliant. We were all on time. That's great. Like 9.45, the doors open. But 10 a.m. is when we start. That is our start time. And the idea of coming to church at the time I speak, which is normally around about 20 past 10 or 10.30, that says that you believe that you will encounter God in hearing me or whoever else speak. And that is an abomination and it's not true. You can, and I really hope you do hear God speak when I speak. Otherwise, I'm wasting my life. But actually, when we spend time together, hearing about each other's lives, loving, caring for one another, excited about people who we only, we're only a part of this because we go to the same church, but excited about what's happening in one another's lives, praying about it in the week, encouraging one another, being there for one another. And if something happens dreadful, because let's be honest, it's never... It's never if, it's when that happens. We're there to love and to hold each other with fear and with trembling. And that's what this is about. And so for me, the best thing about City Hill at the moment is the thing that at the beginning really upset me, but we weren't able to have worship. But actually we are able to have worship. And the most sacred thing is getting here before we start talking because we realize the sacred nature of what we can have with one another and how we can have amazing impact. And lastly, and my final reason is this, is we're gonna have people that are gonna come here for the very first time over the coming months, and especially Christmas and in the new year, that are gonna come here for the very first time. And when they come here for the first time, us being here, as close to 10 as we could possibly be, we could be the individual that transforms their life. It doesn't need you to come in with your a-prophetic game where you have like, oh yeah, you're eating cornflakes yesterday and the day before you had Weetabix, the Lord told me. We don't need any of that. We don't need it. I'm not saying if you have a prophetic word, go with it, flow with it. But I'm saying that isn't the only thing of value. But being a person that when someone meets you and they connect with you and they feel loved by you, 
it could transform their entire life. I've seen it happen time and time again. And so at the moment, this space that we have in the service, where we can sit, we can just be with one another, for first timers that come, because they're gonna start coming, we can transform lives and we could be, they may not come in here like that woman did in that shop and say, this is what's happened, will you pray for me? They may have all that going on, but you could be the love that transforms their life because they meet someone who is just so wonderful and such an important person in their life. I'm gonna pray for us today and then that'll be um, it for this part of the series. Father God, I pray that you would help us to plug into your collective consciousness, what you call Ecclesia Church, called out for a reason, called out for a purpose. Father God, we are a family for a purpose. We are here together for a purpose. And our purpose is we want to align ourselves with what it is that you want to do in our lives. So often, God, we live our lives solely focused on who we are, what we want to do, and where we want to go. But actually, that is a dead-end life. It is so dead. It will just leave us wanting more and more and more. But actually, you called us to live life in connection. When Adam was made, it wasn't good for man to be alone. And then even beyond that, that you came and you lived among your people because without connecting with you in that way our lives are so empty and void and actually without putting up with people that annoy us and loving them we never experience true success and value which is the relationships that we need in our lives i pray father this week that you speak to us that you'd be a part of what we're doing i pray this week we'd be inspired in our relationship with our co-workers our friends and our family lord i pray that we would hold them in our hands with fear and with trembling i pray that we would see the very sacred nature of who you are in them and how we love them lord in jesus name Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.